0: So hey, everybody, I wrote a cold open for this week, uh, it was pretty cool, I was into it, and it was a bunch of jokes about tornadoes and earthquakes and hellfire, um, and I get that central Oklahoma has been uh, shaken to its core, but then this morning, as I'm sure all of you know, Tulsa literally had hellfire and a tornado, so it seemed a bit a bit in poor taste <laughs> to joke that much about it. Uh So, I mean, y'all, just stay safe out there. You know, tornadoes tornadoes are one of those things every Oklahoman has a love-hate relationship with, I feel like. Um,
1: You just gotta be drunk enough so that if the tornado hits your house, you can just, you know, it's like being in a drunk driving accident. You just float away and bounce off stuff. That's, I mean, that's the move,
0: I think. Um, So, y'all, keep that in mind. Always be wasted, apparently, if you want to survive tornadoes. (laughs) Uh, But really, you know... Uh, we're really glad everybody's okay in Tulsa and you know that, that was crazy it, it was crazy um, let's stay frosty
1: <laughs> many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home in those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned Many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian Nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills
0: where I was born
1: Now way down yonder
0: in the Indian Nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born
1: so are you ready for the introduction? Yeah. Dude, I'm so, I'm so fucked up. I'm I'm on both of my computers right now, and so like I'm just grab. I have both of my mo- my mice out, I guess, and so I'm just like grabbing the wrong mouse and just moving it. What what fucked kind of up. socialist has two computers? <laughs> uh I have three computers, four if you count my phone, five if you count my Xbox. Hmm. I see you partake in a society
0: you criticize. How hypocritical, sir.
1: Oh my god, the yelling I've been having to do recently about no ethical consumption under capitalism has been really bad. Because I've run into like three people recently that have been like, You're a socialist, but you wear Nike. I'm like, yeah, Nike's cool. Like, I know they use sweatshops and, like, slave labor, but literally everyone does. Like, yeah. It, it's it, like, it, there's it, only 23 it, people who get my money, and no matter what happens, I can't keep Jeff Bezos' hands off my yeah. money. It's going to happen. Like,
0: oh, do you want, do you want clothes that aren't produced in cap, like, under the most unethical conditions in Southeast Asia? Guess you better be
1: naked. Yeah. Or grow cotton in your own backyard. Yeah,
0: like that, that's efficient. It's not like the Industrial Revolution, the first one, was driven exclusively <laughs> by England wanting to produce clothes easily. So, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you to everybody who pulls that horse shit.
1: Oh, man. Well, so, I'm Adam Burnett. And I'm Carl Roberts. And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma. We're a small political and news broadcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma and left politics in Oklahoma. When are we going to take the small out of the name? I don't know. I feel like at a certain point, I mean, like, not right now. Like, right now, we're not even small. We're minuscule right now. But I feel like at a certain point we will become small and then to, at another certain point we may even become medium. And, and, I, and I'm gonna, I don't know how we're a medium political. I, I
0: mean, I don't even know if small is we, over a hundred listens on SoundCloud right now. Shout out to whoever's IP is saying they're in Bumfuck, Oregon and is listening to our show because I really doubt somebody there is actually listening. But if you are, thank you. We appreciate it.
1: Those are those are called VPNs, <laughs> and they're very important to keeping the NSA out of their, our business, but I just believe in helping the NSA as much as possible, so I try and keep all the location services turned on on my phone and really tell the CIA that if they want me, they can come get well, me, I don't, and I'm ready for it. So, like,
0: them. I don't even send dick pics, but I, once a month, do send a dick pic to the NSA to be like, hey, I care, you guys are doing important work, I know. That you expect a dick pic from every American at least once a month. I want to keep up my quota. I don't want to be on some list here, okay? I got a bunch of emails from <laughs> dongleberry42069 <laughs> at gmail.de of my job. A bunch of photos.
1: Oh, man. Well, it's another week of national news. So, what's up on the docket today, sir? Yeah, we, uh,
0: fir- first thing we're going to talk about, uh, of course. Uh, Tito Benito and immigration probably his favorite thing he doesn't know anything about um,
1: no 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 second favorite thing because he doesn't know anything about his taxes first and foremost <laughs> <him.
0: laughs> okay that's true that's true or that well maybe the size of his hands could fall I don't, I don't know
1: no he knows a lot about the size of his hands it's huge he knows exactly how large they are they're massive that's why he built all those giant uh, sky
0: penises to say because <laughs> he has such a big dick it's like having a big tr- big truck big dick big building big big camp That's that's what I was
1: somewhere. There's an art. Oh, man. That's all very good. But yeah. So um, kind of in a uh, this is this is kind of the uh, I heard it referred to as uh, the Jeff Sessions mixtape. It's kind of the (laughs) the he's going back to his greatest hits to try. You know, you know, uh, old old Donnie T got a little upset with Mr. Sessions and said he wasn't being bad enough. And so Sessions said, you know what, dude, stop worrying about Russia. Like we'll take this back. Do you Remember how racist I am? Remember, I, I'm the guy who wants to throw everyone in jail and make them work for you. Come on. Let's let's work on that. So on top of some criminal justice, not reform, but I don't even know, deform, uh, unform. Uh, uh, just, reaction, you know, great, maybe. Yeah, reaction. Yeah. Great stuff. So uh, they are, oh, and, and tripling the amount of leak investigations because you know what we need? He's less transparent. I swear
0: to God, they actually, like, Trump watched that new season of House of Cards and was like, hey, that thing where they spy on everybody in the White House, I want that. I want that by the leakers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's back to the wartime cabinet, man. It's just, he's just stomping around there and, and, yeah looking like uh, Hosni, Hosni Mubarak and just <laughs> <laughs> pointing at people and yelling you're fired and it's just janitors and people cutting the grass. He's just walking around. I bet he walks out. If he can see citizens, he just tries to Yeah, fire he just yells, you, you, you're fired. Citizens. That's what he's doing. Well, and, and that's actually what this basically is. So uh, Jeff Sessions and, and, and Trump announced that they were going to be doing some tweaks to how um, the... Uh, Uh, entrance and legal immigration to the U.S. works and the big change that they're intending to make is that they want to uh they want to focus more on high skilled um high highly educated immigrants rather than immigrants who have bases of a family and so there's a lot of problems with that the first one i discuss like in in my mind the first thing that comes up is that when you when you have immigrants the most important thing is for finding them a community it's like the, the reason why we don't have a lot of syrian immigrants in places and the reason why collections of immigrants um kind of congregate together more than just them speaking a common language and sharing a common culture, is that the U.S. government, when they bring in immigrants, they actually try and place them near other immigrants because it provides them a structure and a community that they're used to. And actually, I don't, like, I I disagree with, you know, using that as a policy to um, you know, subjugate people by like putting them in food deserts and putting them in like bad infrastructure areas. But at the same time, like when you're bringing in other people, it's, it's good to have them be in a support base and the greatest piece of a support is a family. So that's kind of the anchor system. Yeah. And, and
0: uh, the big thing, I mean, one of the big things here is that, um, anybody who's not a spouse is going to have a lot more trouble getting, uh, getting sponsored by by a family so spouses are fine uh, but then other family members are the ones that are that are like facing the most problems here and already like America's immigration program is already one of the most backwards in the world because there there's quotas there's longer lines and so we even have like some kind of two tiered system where you apply the normal way and then you apply for a lottery to get a, a an expedited visa that's already how <laughs> fucked up it that's is how- and he, I mean, basically, they're they're making it they're making it extra hard for for you know say somebody like like a grandparent who wants to move to where their kids work and get taken care of by the family they're they're making it harder on that person on, on both the family yeah. and, and the grandparent and to get sponsored you know the person has to be able to prove that they can afford to take care of this person that they've been a good person while they're here a, a good citizen if they they uh, switch the nationality or, or also got American nationality, yeah, and, and then if, if you're simply a green card holder, these green card holders can also sponsor people that, you know, you've been behaving well, you've been working, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and so for, for a lot of, you know, my opinion in this is that, you know, some of those structures and, and, and vetting people um, is not inherently bad. Um, but the way they frame this, it just, it, it goes to kind of the nonsensicalness of this administration and of, in my opinion, conservative politics in most uh, views. And that is this idea that, that um, there is a lack of highly educated, highly skilled people coming um, over to the U.S. So if you imagine in Mexico, if you're a doctor who's very, got a good education and you want to come over, you're going to be able to come over. Yeah. Like you, you have the resources, and not only that, but even if you don't have a family, you could. You have the ability. I mean, you, you know, you think about all you're trying to do is convince the government that you're not going to be a drain on the resources and that you're not going to be um, uh, a problem. You it's know, a, a violent problem, or you know, whatever. It's it's, um, it's genuinely
0: it's, difficult to get a, like a visa in America. Like it is basically anywhere without like being able to prove that really effectively I mean, it's it's much harder. Even you know, like let's say you've got a spot at Harvard as a TA getting a PhD. I mean it's harder for you to get to America and get your visa approved and shit than, than it would be in a lot of other countries already. So it's not like it's not like this easy in the first place. And you gotta jump through a bunch of hurdles that really do make it such that you're only going to be adding to America if you're allowed in countries. There's basically no way unless you're a refugee and then, you know, that is a totally different thing than than this kind of immigration that you're gonna get into America without being somebody that like People are saying we need here, and that that that's gonna help American society essentially
1: yeah and and so like not only does like this the 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 political rhetoric that surrounds this change like not only does the policy not really have teeth in that those people are still going to be coming here and still able to, and they still are. Like even right now, you know, this doesn't really affect those high-skilled people like that. What it really is doing is it's saying it's using this kind of merit-based conservative uh, value judgment on who should be allowed to work. Is that you know these these people with this high, you know, we have deemed that they have higher education and higher skills, so they should they are they are morally superior, and thus they should be allowed to work here. And what that really does is that rhetoric is just a smokescreen to say, so we're going to make it harder on people who have families. Here. Yeah, it's, we're going to make it harder on people who are immigrant workers and low-skilled, low-paying workers. Um, and there's like the the idea that. Uh, immigrants and the people here compete for the same jobs like there is a real like actual like yeah every once in a while maybe there is a mexican citizen who's here as an immigrant who gets uh hired um over uh you know a a regular uh, american blue-collar worker but well and that's just also not super true it's just it's not something to happen immigrants always have a net benefit on the economy because it's more people who can work. It's more people who can build things and provide yeah. things like work is good and work. More people working is good. Oh, so, so
0: often too. I mean, that kind of rhetoric, like the problem isn't that
1: <laughs> it's not that we have too little to get uh, done. Yeah.
0: And, and so often like the problem isn't with, with the immigrant or the American worker, right? Like, uh, you know, It's The problem is with the boss who wants to pay somebody who's in a shittier position, who can't bargain as effectively, who doesn't have the same National Labor Relations Board protections as an American because they're here illegally or they're here as, you know, a legal immigrant, but not like doesn't have a right to permanent residency or something. And so it's Mm -hmm. it's American bosses, American capitalists that are like, "Uh, there's less labor unrest. I can depress wages more effectively we're going to get into this a lot, too, about a specific program, program that he talked about. But it's, it's really, the problem is the boss, not the immigrant, not the American worker. It's, it's that somebody mm-hmm. wants to, to get more for themselves at the expense of working, working people. Um, that, that's really causing this problem. Because, I mean, it, it, and of course, Trump's not going to deal with that problem. Because I'm sure if you go to some of the Trump businesses, they're employing people on these kinds of programs or illegally. Because it's better for, for capital, it's, it's cheaper, it, it produces higher profits for them. So, I mean, it's, it's fucking crocodile tears that they're crying for the, the, the American worker when they say that they're protecting, protecting them with this kind of program.
1: Yeah. And that, yeah, it, that, that is exactly what it is. It's, it's just putting up this facade to say that this is good while it really doesn't affect anything, it, all, all, it, all it does is allow them to exploit workers more easily. Yeah. And um, it just, it, it blows me away sometimes when we talk so much about uh, freedom, and but not collectiveness, uh, not collectivism, and not being able to you know bargain with your fellow man as equals. Uh, the power relation is so lopsided in, in, in the U.S. and in U.S. capitalism that it just overwhelms the worker. I mean, it, it, I think so much just about the struggles that unions face in the U S and it's just, that's such a foundational portion of how business should and like You should be able to unionize and, and, and collectively bargain. And it is so overrun by the, 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 the you know, on the conservative and the worst kind of bureaucratic nonsense and red tape and they have to walk through all these hoops and jump through all these things. And those structures were built by Republicans and conservatives and capitalists who didn't want, I mean, Democrats too, yeah. who did not want those structures to be able to be overcome by the collective workers. They wanted to break us all apart and make us all individuals and they want us to all be Uber drivers. Yeah. Where, it, you know, we're all individual contractors that have no ability to, to bargain against our uh, company, and that company can just walk away from us at any point. Yeah. and I think, it, you know, this is a really important
0: part of, of one of the things that he, when he, they were talking about, and Trump was talking about whenever they, they laid out this new plan, um, was wanting high-skilled work, and especially on H-1B visas, that's, that's kind of like the hot, mm-hmm. the hot shit. And the H-1B visa program basically is a um, program where workers that have are highly educated, have a bunch of skills, can get hired because American companies have proven that they can't find somebody who needs this, this skill set in America. So they have to import labor. And mm-hmm. um, this is number one horseshit, right? Because the company has to go through a process to prove that they tried to hire an American and then they couldn't find an American that met, met the qualification. Um and they'll put up these, like, ridiculous requirements. I saw some guy, uh, I mean, this was, like, about a year and a half ago. Some guy posted the job requirements for a job application on Reddit uh, doing some kind of sysadmin work. And he was going to have to be, like, a five-year qualified sysadmin, so he would have had been working for five years, and then to have, like, five other qualifications equal to him working in that field for five years in, in computer science to get this job, right? And so they put out these ridiculous things, that people can't do and then they say oh we couldn't find an american that that matches up with it and then they hire somebody on an h1b visa to fill that slot um because you know i mean just on one level right Yeah, you can pay foreigners less because they probably didn't go into massive amounts of debt to get their degree right but you can also Mm -hmm. pay foreigners massively depressed wages because you know you're like, oh, you're a foreigner, we can't pay you as much as an American, or it's going to be harder for you to unionize and get the benefits of a union, or look, we're offering you this opportunity, we're, you know, um, understanding your visa so that you can come work here, so we're not going to pay you that much because that's included in the price or something, right? And so the, the labor relation there between the boss and the worker is something that doesn't have as much protections as between an American worker and an American boss whenever they do this.
1: And and so it's something I said earlier is that um, one of the things that I don't think is inherently bad about how some of the American immigration works is that a lot of times those people will be put <clears> in communities. Um, there's actually a, a quite a large Vietnamese population in Oklahoma City, which kind of is kind of like, why are there a lot of Vietnamese here? And it's because as that population grew, it actually be, became a place where a lot of uh, Im- immigrants came because there was already a thriving Vietnamese community there and so um i think that one of the things you know you mentioned the that that kind of disparate relationship and that disparate uh uh you know a collection of power between boss and worker and i think that so importantly um uh, with immigrants you strip them of the community that is able to work with them to um collectively bargain and to and to demand respect from their employer when you're working for a multinational company that doesn't give a shit about who you are or your family or any of that you're much more likely to be abused and it, and it's that, that that bureaucratic utilitarian kind of abuse you know the 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 you know CEO wants a $500,000 you know bump in his you know a raise or a, a, you know a compensation or a new yacht or whatever and so he lets it trickle all the way down till that decision where it actually hits people is in those low working positions where they're getting screwed over but Their manager's not responsible for that decision, so he feels, not only is he having to be, you know, kind of the boot on the face in one sense of being like, no, I'm going to be docking your pay, you're not going to be getting as many hours, blah, 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 but he's being told that he has to do that to keep his job, and it's his job to do that, and it's the person's job above them to do that, and it's just it is that disassociation through bureaucracy of the boss to the direct exploitation and it allows them to not even feel like they're exploiting anyone and at the same time allow them to be much more violent in their exploitation
0: yeah and I think I think how you describe it as this like Kafkaesque bureaucracy which it really is it is, is a really yeah. good way of understanding it because this idea of, oh, it's an individual boss that's shitty or, oh, it's an invi- individual manager that's shitty is wrong, right? Like, it's a structural relationship.
1: It's the, it's the kind slave of Yeah,
0: and, it's, and, and and the relations of, of production that engender these relations of power that we have are, are what's the problem. And so understanding it mm-hmm. on this individual level doesn't get us anywhere. Understanding it as, as a relation where you can't say, the problem is my shitty boss, the problem is my shitty manager or something that is key to understanding what's going on and then also how to fix it.
1: And yeah, and it's why I kind of mentioned earlier the example of like I am sure that there is places in California where migrant work and where seasonal like you know fruit picking and those kind of seasonal occupations, I am sure that there are places where there are white blue collar workers who do get pushed out of jobs by migrant and immigrant workers. But that example doesn't speak to the actual power issue that is at play. Yeah. It speaks to kind of this, you know, anecdotal, strange, but it, but contextual. You know, you have to look at that within the context. You know, work moves in certain areas. Work is Labor isn't static all the time. Labor isn't always in demand all the time everywhere. You know, there's seasons on this planet, as yeah, it turns yeah. <laughs> out. And... I think, you know, that kind of focusing on those little anecdotal things, and a lot of times I see that in the rhetoric that follows these kind of bills, is that focusing on that kind of nitty-gritty anecdotal metaphor completely blows off, like, okay, well, there's a power relationship going on here. There are structures in place that you are not evaluating because you're allowing yourself to be swept away by this pathos metaphor that you're oh, wow, that one's going to steal my job. Dude, yeah, no one's there's no stealing, one stealing your job. job. We're all working. We all have to work. It's the curse. Prometheus stole fire from Zeus, and he cursed us to work. That's what we do. We're people.
0: Hundred percent. This show is labor omnia uh, vincit. Greek uh, polytheist show. Um, <laughs> we do genuinely believe that because Prometheus stole fire from Zeus, <laughs> capitalism has ruined everything. So that's that's canon now. That's canon. Um,
1: I I. I I have never advocated <laughs> anything less than my total polytheetic belief. Uh, <laughs> so, um the next thing uh we have up here is uh for the next bit of national news, you know, it was it was kind of a slow week, you know, no one at the White House got crucified. Um uh, fuck Kellyanne we- Conway's gone, it's terrible. I mean, yeah, Kellyanne Conway's face is still like, you know, roughly attached to her skull with Botox. Donald Trump still throwing out, you know, thumbs up. He's fled the. He's fled for 17 days. As it turns <laughs> out, on vacation. Uh, and so all we can kind of do is actually, you know, really squeeze some policy here. And I'm I'm super into that. So there's been a um, a legal case brought by um, several students against uh, several Asian American students against Harvard, claiming that Harvard is using discriminatory practices um, in. Uh, admitting Asian-American students. And so essentially what what they're alleging, uh, the case has not uh, been adjudicated fully, so I don't want to, I want to use allegedly pretty broadly here because this is a little complex. What they are alleging is that um, other minority students, uh, Latino, African-American students are having to fulfill lower requirements and they are requiring higher requirements for Asian-American students. And what this speaks to is that the thing that is actually not allowed is to have different qualifications for different races. You have to allow the same qualifications and then measure everyone, up, measure everyone out. But there are some ways in which uh, the U.S. allows for you to use suspect classifications um, to help lift people up, but it is very uh, closely regulated and closely watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, I mean, I mean, the the, the real issue here is that um, you know it, it, it's it's not one of those things where they're saying that you know white students are being given more of an advantage. They're actually saying that these Asian American students are being held to higher standards. And so that suspect classification of Asian Americans being held to a different standard than other students, um, it, it, it runs afoul of their civil rights in the opportunity to pursue uh, education where they want. Um, now, that being
0: said, okay, let's let's all be honest. An important part of why this is happening, why Trump is like going in on this, is because Trump just thinks like all these horseshit beliefs that we have in our society that like Asians are like this bottom minority that are like at the top of the bell gap. He's like Asians are getting so they should be getting into Harvard more, and it's like no, like part of the problem here is that like he genuinely doesn't understand that Asian Americans, like everybody else, are complex people that exist on a spectrum of. Of qualities just like everybody else and so he's like oh yeah this Mm -hmm. is a good fight and then conservatives in general have this whole like rhetoric that they can fall back on when it comes to this about this really racist model minority rhetoric and then also it's finally not about white people because every time it's about white people it turns out that the white person suing is actually shitty and not intelligent like that uh, woman who tried to get into UT Austin sued and then then Mm. they're like no you're actually just dumb this is the problem and then you feel like you should yeah. be able to get in because you're white, and so it's, mm-hmm. the optics are, are an important part. I think of what's going on here too. And
1: and, and and yeah, so I think I think the optics are are definitely important. And you know, this this case is being brought by the students, and so as it gets closer to the Supreme Court, that Gorsuch nomination uh, by um, Trump becomes more and more important. Um, now that being said, I I I think it yeah I think some of the things you've touched on there are. Are, are critical um, to understanding this problem. So what, what what I think is being missed is that when you talk about, I, one, one of the things you said that I think is really important is the discussion of um, that, you know, this is kind of this, minorities at minorities Um, they're trying to get what they really want is to say that okay there should be no racial qualifications everyone should just be measured the way that they are measured and then brought into the schools the reason that some of those categorizations are allowed and some of those suspect classifications are allowed is because of the implicit racism that actually exists um, so that is to say that, like, you know, you can, you can suppress the number of African-Americans and Asians and people of color and minorities who enter your university by subjecting those communities and oppressing them with poor education, poor infrastructure, and poor health. Um, you can lift up and, you know, lift up the numbers of white people that are in your institution by pumping those people full of good education, good health, good infrastructure, good schools. And so I think that there is this, this undercurrent where you're having this fight where these minorities are saying like, well, we want to have the ability to say like, no, you know, you, you need to lift up these hardworking people who are in these, you know, oppressed areas. And so we need to be able to look at the oppressed areas. But at the same time, We don't want to advocate for these kind of qualification and suspect classifications usage because that sets a bad precedent. And I think that what that does is it is this whole smokescreen BS that is running over the top of this problem. Because what it really is is that poor people are always going to be oppressed. It doesn't matter black, white, Asian Anything. If you're poor, you're being oppressed. Like your work is being held down. You're not being able to pursue the things you need to be able to pursue, and you don't have the same opportunities as someone with money. And
0: especially when we're talking about education in the U.S., because education is generally funded by property taxes. um, You know, it doesn't really matter. Like if if you're from a poor neighborhood, then you're not getting the same education. That it it doesn't matter if that neighborhood is urban or rural. It doesn't matter what kind of people are in that neighborhood in terms of race or anything. You're getting a shittier education. By nature of the funding. And you don't have access, you know, you don't have access to a ton of the other stuff that goes along with, you know, getting into these hard to get in schools. Like Harvard, I looked it up, has a 5.4% acceptance rate, right? Like this is fucking super competitive. And if you're poor, not only do you not have access to a good school, you don't have access to tutoring, you don't have access to practice tests, you don't have access to extracurriculars. You're all way more likely to have to have a job on the side while you're in high school. So you can't, you know, do as much. You, you can't be a cello player. You can't be a debater as easy. You can't do these things that help you get into these schools.
1: <clears throat>
0: and one of the, one of the articles you sent me to read uh, about this that I, I thought was really great that editorial from the Washington Post, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, that, by Christine Emba on the fourth of August it has some stat in it. Um, that thirty-eight at uh, thirty-eight top colleges in the United States, more students come from the top one percent of income earners than from the body bottom 60, 60%, right? So, like, that shows up. Like, this, mm-hmm. what happens here is that rich people get in. And there's a number of different reasons about that, why that happens. And, you know, if you look at, at, at the wealth gap, too, in America, it's overwhelmingly white people that are wealthy as well. So affirmative action serves to ameliorate this in a very important way in terms of moving us forward as a society instead of keeping the rich people going to Harvard, then we poor people have to fight for scraps at state universities, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah, is exactly kind of the thing I'm talking about in this is that there is this, you know, structure of the law and moral argument that is being had about how you can use suspect classifications. And I think that On one hand, it's a good argument to have, and as um, policy students and as policy thinkers, I think that we need to address it because it is uh, important to understanding how the law should work and how things should be structured and and what things are bad and what things are good in structures. But... Doing so, it's it's kind of that we're <laughs> making the jokes earlier about there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, <laughs> yeah. there's no ethical law under yeah. capitalism. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, if, if Jeff Bezos's kid wants to go to Harvard and that dude's made C's through high school and they go, Sorry, we can't let him in, Bezos will just buy a wing and be like, Okay, now you can't. No joke, no joke. Like, no joke.
0: Dude, uh, somebody that graduated with me from Booker Key, um, uh, went to an Ivy and there was a Kennedy at the Ivy she was at, and that guy was an idiot. He was like, yeah, what, the, what the shit is? This guy's just dumb. Like, he, he, he's actually unintelligent, right? And of course he was at Harvard, and of course he was going to get his degree at Harvard. And the same yep. is true of Trump, too. He got into UPenn because his dad paid for it. Three out of the four of his kids got into UPenn. And that's another part of the problem here is that if you go to the university once, your kids get in easier Legacy admissions are a really mm-hmm. big thing, and being able to spread out the rest that those of us didn't have whose parents didn't go there among people who don't have as good school opportunities as the rest of us is
1: really important
0: for making sure that everyone has equal access
1: yeah yeah, and, and, and yeah I think, I think yeah the last thing I have to say is just that yeah it, it, it What it really comes back to is that there is a power dynamic supported by capital in this country that overwhelms everything. Um, These discussions of policy and these discussions of... Uh, you know, the specifics of how, you know, immigration and and education should work in this country. We can have those, and those are important conversations to have, and there are structures that can be built and can be ratified and are good, but at the end of the day, the one thing that overwhelms everything is capital. Yeah, and I mean, Um, we need, you know, like when we're talking
0: about affirmative action, we gotta, racism is an important part of what we have to talk about here, but and I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it, but we also have to talk about capitalism to understand it at
1: any level. Yeah.
0: If you wanna, if you wanna talk about any of these issues, you're totally right. It's
1: it's it's a chicken and an egg, but they both exist. You know, it's is racism a tool of capitalism, or is capitalism a tool of racists? It, it, it they the the oppression of um, people of color and minorities and and marginalized peoples is. Critical to the continuation of capitalism, mm-hmm. um, uh, along with the you know just decimation of the, the poor, uh, and you know, the just anyone who can be marginalized, anyone who's not a cis white gendered male. What's up, myself? Hey, that's us. Yo, so you want to move on to Oklahoma news? You were uh, you were buck to educate me about some Oklahoma stuff this yeah, week.
0: yeah. So, uh, uh, this first thing I want to talk about, I actually wrote, um, I I hesitate to call it a paper, um, because it was mostly just hate mail, uh, directed at oil companies in the state that I wrote, uh, for a university class (laughs) during my bachelor's. Um, but it's, uh, it's about this thing that came across my newsfeed, um, is an NPR article from the 11th of July about the oil industry in schools in Oklahoma. And so the, the, like the whole article is just like, oh, well, what, you know, what, what's going on in oklahoma with education why is there all this education educational material provided by uh, the oklahoma energy resources board or oerb right they apparently mm-hmm. for any science teacher that wants wants it you know they can just call up oerb and they'll get about 1200 dollars worth of science from them right stuff using the classroom equipment books shit like that and it's not
1: Did you not hear that capitalists are supposed to self-fund education? You're supposed to pay for healthcare and, and education out of pocket. Kids as young as four <laughs> years old should go to school every day, hand their teacher a 20, stuff two $1 bills in the front of her blouse and say, thank you, ma'am, and go sit in their seat. And if at any time, you know, see, in, in the way we drive costs down, all right, is we let those six year olds Yelp review their teachers. It's perfect. Okay? When has that's, that's how we're going to move forward? It's
0: just the a way. person who has figured out that being immoral is good, you know, lying, shit like that <laughs> serves their purposes, but is also not yet old enough to have a moral compass. What would be wrong about letting them be the market that decides how our education system works? I, I
1: don't see any, any problems that could come up uh, in that, that situation. Um, Carl, have you, have you, have you not read the constitution uh, (laughs) of this fine country? I'll refer you to article one, section one, all rights stem from your position as a consumer. And so (laughs) I'll just let you know, first off, that if you're not eating whatever we tell you to eat, then you're the problem. Yeah. I, I just, I never
0: read the constitution. I'm sorry. I, I watched National Treasure, and I thought it was stolen. So I didn't know <laughs> that it was still readable. Oh, I thought, I thought
1: Nicolas Cage. Had no, th- it. So. those, those are those are, te- those are, those are, those are, those are programs. <laughs> those are films. That's a, that's a that's a that's a single cinema. Uh, it's, well, I mean, I guess it's like four cinemas. Would they make a they movie? Made...
0: Okay. Would they make a fake movie? I saw Sharknado. It's real. Okay, don't give me this. Shit. Don't
1: give me this shit. Okay, I'm gonna need you to calm down on the discussion and the uh, you know appropriation for the use of. Comedy, okay. <laughs> the greatest humanitarian disaster that has ever occurred since that scene in Batman vs Superman, where Superman cuts that building in half with his laser eyes. Okay, I'm just gonna let you know that those are real events. Has the TV been lying to me? Are you trying to tell me that my TV isn't th- okay? Every
0: time I've seen a Dark Knight movie, OERB
1: runs. Called Facebook angrily that I couldn't
0: get a a, a you know a profile. Filter saying parts of prayers Gotham, hashtag yes we Batman. You know, I, I left an angry message. Okay, I did. Um, oh I, Lord, I also called the OERB to leave angry <laughs> messages about this fucking bullshit they do in our schools, right?
1: Okay, yeah, <laughs> keep telling me about the uh, the OERB. The
0: important oh, thing, zero. right? So, this $1,200 package they will give to any science teacher that wants it, right? It's not like oil science, here's petroleum, here's how petroleum works, shit like that, right? It's way more fucking insidious than that. So it's like, oh, yeah, here's how, you know, like, forces work. So, like, what happens when Bobby puts, you know, a cylinder on top of a triangle? How fast is it going to go when it gets to the bottom? Like, these basic physics, physics problems, shit like that. Except, you know, Bobby is an oil worker, and he's trying to roll, like, part of the oil well down the hill to his friend. And so it couches these totally innocuous science problems in language that makes people be like, it makes kids grow up with this idea of oil as the central part of Oklahoma life. And that like, you know, is is really just fucking propaganda, right? That they then get to say, oh, we're providing, you know, we're providing- It's
1: not just propaganda, it's indoctrination.
0: Yeah, it is. And, And they're providing this service. They're acting like they're being all generous and shit by doing it because they're like, look, we're helping out local schools. And, like, we've yelled about fucking tons of times already on, like, we're on the fucking fifth episode, and I think we've yelled about the state of o- education in Oklahoma
1: every single show, because it's so it's fucked It's the only um, thing I care about. <laughs>
0: um, there's this massive incentive for teachers to get this propaganda from the oil companies, right? Because $1,200 yeah. is $1,200 they don't have to spend out of pocket, like that uh, teacher we were talking about the last time,.: Panhandling teacher, yeah. yeah, for this kind of shit. Uh,
1: so... so- so I have two notes on that. Um, the, the 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 thing I said about indoctrination. So I think I, I always love drawing parallels, and I hate historical parallels because we're both very big students of history. Um, and I hate doing the like Nazis, but so. Prior to about 1930 in Germany, and you're going to be able to comment on this a little bit better, but, but you'll under, you'll remember what I'm talking about, whenever they were using um, educational materials, a lot of the way they would couch mathematics was in body calculus. It was, uh, if an apartment building costs this much to build and a, um, a mental facility costs this much to run, how many mental facilities can we run for every apartment, building, apartment complex we built? And it gets kids to think about those, make those kind of value judgments. It's it's, it's an implicit way of uh, teaching kids, layering their minds. Yeah, like teaching kids with, social Darwinism
0: yeah. when they're super young,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. And so, it, like, that tactic, like, not only is it something that, like, insidious governments have used for a while, but, like it is like like that, that idea of like, oh, that sounds a little wacky, like making kids do body calculus. Okay, so I'm just gonna read from this article you sent. Uh, Having no petroleum is like a nightmare, the online book explains after Petro Pete wakes up from a terrible dream where he had no toothbrush, comb, or other everyday items because there's no oil. <laughs> like, no, that, that's, 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 that's just it. I mean, like that's right there, black and white in the pa- page. And it's exactly, I mean, it's making them do that body calculus. Do you like to have clean teeth? Okay, well, That's the only need... way you get to have clean teeth is the continuation of the oil companies. Yes. Yeah. And, and,
0: I mean, the most, probably, I think the most fucked up thing about this is instead, if we tax those motherfuckers, right, we tax the shit out Make of them. Make them pay their share anyway. Yeah, we could pay for our schools, and we wouldn't have to do this. And then we would get to decide what's in the school material, get taught to people in the state of Oklahoma. We'd have a choice over that. Now, we have to rely on these companies to give young people in Oklahoma you know this fucking horse shit
1: <clears throat> yeah yeah it, it, it and i can remember it, it, one of the things i know uh i'm sure our oklahoma listeners uh are are, are i've seen these commercials but uh the uh, oil and gas industry in Oklahoma plays these commercials on the TV every once in a while where it's just like fast cars and then there's like a lady putting on makeup and there's like a 3D printer like printing out something with like plastic and there's like, you know, people, you know, like a, tr- a semi-truck, you know, pulling into a grocery store, unloading goods and it's like petroleum, the cool thing to do. And it's mostly... And I'm just like, man. <laughs> it's mostly by the same fucking people, OERB. Yeah. and And they yeah. even
0: have, they have, they have a fucking website with all this uh, informational material, and I, I had watched a video from it for that hate mail I wrote as a, as a university mm-hmm. paper. Um, and they had this fucking scientist on who was basically like, yeah, so er- earthquakes are a thing that have happened in Oklahoma previously and happen also now. And, I mean, he's, he's, he's a natural scientist, and that was the only thing he yeah. could say, but he was on screen for like five minutes. I mean like earthquakes to have happened before, and so I, I mean that's the level of propaganda we're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you know with, with the idea of propaganda too is that um, you know it's not always just so explicit that it, you know these people are literally professionals at making this not seem as insidious as it is, and so they do that by couching fact in different. Uh, w- ways of thinking. And so, you know, the way to do that is to, yeah, is to say, oh, okay, so this is how we get petroleum out of the ground, and this is the physics problems that are related to that, and here are the things that petroleum produces, but it's not at any point going, but this industry is completely outdated and is destroying the world so fast that we probably won't have New York, LA, San Fran, or Florida in, well, 30 years. And this is where that,
0: that kind of shit should be happening,
1: because if, if, if
0: you're doing educational programs for young kids you know k through 12 that are focused on renewable energy renewable resources developing these new things then you know the whole point is being more open looking for solutions and you can still have that you know energy focus because Mm -hmm. um and and i want to go to the next thing we're going to talk about because it, it directly ties into that you know oklahoma is one of the best places in the world for um green energy production right
1: Mm -hmm. And so if
0: we started doing that with young kids in school, it'd be way better for us. Um, I grew,
1: I grew up (laughs) on the world's longest multi-arch dam that will provide sustainable energy through the next two or 300 years. Yeah. And I mean, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, and it's the world,
0: it's the world's largest dam and it's fucking scary to drive across the top of it. They did not make that (laughs) wide enough for modern cars. Um,
1: Yes, it did. It's great.
0: um, But so what, what I wanted to talk about here specifically, um, is a wind farm, and State Impact NPR did this story about it, um, about this wind farm in the Oklahoma panhandle that they're building. And it's going to be mm-hmm. the largest in the United States and the second largest in the world, right? It's going to deliver electricity to more than 1.1 million customers in four states. That's a big fucking deal, right? That is a yeah. huge fucking deal. And so I poked around a bit more to figure out what's going on in Oklahoma. We're sitting on enough potential wind energy to power a third of the United States right now? Like, that's fucking crazy. And, and if we're a state that's so... Carl,
1: Carl, Carl, Carl. They're ugly. Have you not heard? They ruin the aesthetic. Oil wells, coal fire plants, <laughs> they smell delicious, okay? They, it's just the, the warm, waft... Of uh, uh, Grandma's sweet apple baked pie coming off that oil well, and as they burn that coal, it smells like mmm, the most delicious honey buns, warm, hot, fresh, right out of the oven. Mmm, not not at all like rotten eggs and burning trash. They don't. They don't just dump that smoke into the atmosphere and, and, you know, then put people right beside where those places are so that they have to breathe it until they get cancer and dissolve. And when
0: they inject the wastewater beneath the water table because it should never touch the water table because it's so poisonous, like, no earthquakes happen. So, of course it's safe because earthquakes don't harm, you know,
1: earthquakes aren't happening
0: number one and number two. They don't harm the environment. That's not literally the groundbreaking, right?
1: Right. I'm just going to need you to slow down with these liberal conspiracies, okay? Alex Jones told me that the petroleum companies have never done anything but provide for this country, okay? Okay? We, you know what? All these jobs that these immigrants are stealing, they're stealing from petroleum workers. And yeah, yeah, we could use them to build these, you know, wind kites, wind fans. I don't even know what they're called. Uh, we could use them to build those and, and you know... Provide uh, uh, productive labor for them and everyone else, but. Nah. Why would we hurt the petroleum community? Uh, the, like that? They, the wind the farm companies. Community...
0: Let's remember, the wind farm companies aren't giving uh, totally non propagandistic school materials away because they refuse to be taxed The it. It's not happening right now, so. Sorry, petroleum companies. Yeah. God bless.
1: Um, <clears throat> they're not going anywhere. They're fine. But. They're, they they, they, if, if any, if the Schustermans heard this podcast, they would just giggle to themselves on top of their mountains of cash, light another hundred dollar bill, and then just burn a couple thousand. You know, they just pour some petroleum on the ground and just cackle. Yeah, they'd be like, man, who cares, who
0: cares? But, I think the really important, the most important part of this story, right, is that, um in In April, uh, Governor mary Phelan. Mary Phelan. Phelan Fallon. Phelan. Uh, she, because for some reason, it turns out when you don't tax oil companies, your state doesn't have money um, when you're in Oklahoma. Uh, signed a bill to speed up the elimination of a tax credit that goes to the wind industry, right? We already discussed how. The oil industry gets massive tax credit with horizontal wells, uh, horizontal injection wells, and fucking Mary Phelan is trying to destroy our economy by refusing to support the building of wind farms like this. You know, like, like this is this is a huge growth economy for the state. You know, and and we can't even get the state government to support it because they're so bad at managing the fucking budget that we have to make. We have to make it harder for them to build these these things here right we're We're not subsidizing green energy in the state of Oklahoma. We could be able to say we have the largest wind farm in the country if we wanted to that we're providing a third of the country's energy resources and we're just refusing we're taking away money that incentivizes growth that is valuable for the state of Oklahoma in order to keep oil companies from getting taxed it's it's disgusting
1: and and um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of good jokes to make uh, about how this is a liberal conspiracy and that I don't believe you and that oil companies only want to help people but like at this point it's just depressing it's just it's it, like the, the, the way that tax incentive works is that they essentially said like cool uh, Oklahoma has no jobs and we refuse to tax the oil industry so we'll give these people a tax break so that we'll bring some wind energy here and the wind companies were like oh Oh, hell yeah, we'll come out here. Windy, Oklahoma, awesome. Well, they, they were
0: actually like, we heard the Oklahoma State song. We heard the Oklahoma anthem, and we we're like, that's where the wind is. It comes rolling down the plane. Fuck. Gotta put, some, mm-hmm. gotta put some turbines up.
1: And... I mean, yeah, like you said. I mean, the, 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 they, we are we are on pace to have. We are already the third largest producer of wind energy in the U.S., and we're on pace to have more. And 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 like not only that, but we have an abundance of lakes and rivers that have really great. The GRDA, Grand River Dam Authority, does a lot um, to produce clean hydroelectric power too. And it is just amazing that in what could be such a great hub. For green, clean energy, and where we could really, you know, try and take that step into the 21st and even the 22nd century by saying, okay, we're gonna use our oil resources, but tax the hell out of them because we know it's the end, and pour all that money into education and into, you know, building a great green energy infrastructure, and that well, would do everything. It would fix and everything. That's,
0: I mean, that's the thing. Like, like when we, when people say fossil fuels aren't sustainable, they're not sustainable on two fronts. They're not sustainable environmentally because they're destroying the environment, they're causing, they're driving climate change massively, and they're also not market sustainable, right? Already in the state Mm. of Texas, green energy production is, is overtaking fossil fuel energy production. In Oklahoma, you know, there's all this talk about how Oklahoma is an oil and gas state, it's always been an oil and gas state. And what an oil and gas state is economically is an energy state, right? And we're, we could still be an energy state if we just start saying we want Oklahoma to be an energy state. We want to retain that history. Fuck those petro companies. Tax the shit out of them so that we can make sure that we remain a green, you know, an energy state into the indefinite future by switching to green, sustainable energy that we have shit tons of in Oklahoma.
1: And one of the things this makes me think of is um, how the Railroad Commission in Oklahoma and Texas worked. All the railroad barons that laid all the railroads through Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, they were the bourgeois fucks, for lack of a better word, that ran the 1800s in this area. They were the people who actually had money and were able to kind of stay above the fray of the frontier. And so... (laughs) They, rather than making a Texas and an Oklahoma oil commission, consolidated them under the Texas and Oklahoma railroad commissions. And so for a long time, those things were organized under those same bourgeois fucks. You know, that same those same members of the bourgeoisie and those same families, they just transitioned all their railroad into oil and... I think this is exactly the same. They just don't want to transition again. It's just costly to transition and they don't want to have to take over that this next market because it will not happen until they can profit because they're in power. I mean it just, you know, yeah. the power doesn't allow thing I mean when when capital is how power is created and how power is held, you those people move. The the money moves with them and they make the decisions and instead of making logical governmental democratic decisions we're just stuck waiting on these individuals to dictate how the rest of us are allowed to live our lives and hoping they don't melt the planet yeah. first. Ho- hoping that they're probably going yeah. to. And,
0: and, and they're going to try to make sure they do. To-
1: yeah, really hard. All right. So are you ready for the uh, uh, as of yet unnamed segment here at the end? Yeah,
0: I, I like the name Where the Fuck's Oklahoma, okay? I, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> All right. All right, name. that works for me. Um, no, so I know we normally do a conservative reading list, but it turns out it's not the easiest thing to find. <laughs> like Oklahoma has not not that many people, so it's hard to find a bunch of really good content to hate on local publish. Um, we thought we could we could mix it up, and be a bit more positive. Uh, and I I came across uh, this stand article from 2015 about um, you know where is Oklahoma regionally in the United States, and I think. I think it's it's a really interesting topic to talk about, you know, like where where is our social socio-cultural geography, right? Like where do we fit into? Mm-hmm. You know, how do Oklahomans understand themselves? How do people understand Oklahoma and where it is? Cuz that that affects people's day-to-day lives that affects how we how we deal with ourselves and how we talk about politics here. Um and I mean it's it's something that's always bugged me because it's really hard to do, you know, where, where is Oklahoma? Is it, is it a Midwestern state? Is it a Southern state? Is it a Southwestern state? You know?
1: And I I think, I think so critically in this, um, you know, we have to make a nod to, um, Oklahoma's heritage and Oklahoma's founding. I mean, this isn't even necessarily a, it, it, it doesn't fall into the, the the way that you know you think of the north and the south especially you can you can you can kind of divine the north and the south you know sometimes it feels weird you know georgia's the south but nevada isn't and yeah. it's like well why it's because well there was a civil war and they made those decisions and we you know we're on technically the southern side but we weren't a i mean uh, we, we state yeah we didn't exist point. properly you know yeah and so i think it's also important to remember all the way you know so so long that we were um, a refuge. I mean, we were a, we 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 weren't a state. We weren't a part of that conversation. Well, and the first um, the first we time were...
0: anybody tried to make it a state, they tried to make it an Indian state. Like like the tribes mm-hmm. in the state here, because they were forced to be here by the U.S. military, were like, let's make an Indian state. Yep, out of combining Indian, yeah, and, Indian and Oklahoma
1: territory. Yeah, and and so that I, I I think that that I think that influences a lot of it because. Um, you know, we have been kind of, you know, not let alone by the, the federal government. There are still federal regulations and federal things we have to abide by. But at the same time, we are not... Uh, as deeply t- tied to a national origin or a national placement as a lot of other places. Um, and, you know, Oklahoma City and Tulsa are not such metropolitan international hubs. I mean, you know, New York is an international hub, yeah. LA is an international hub, even Dallas and Houston are international hubs. But Oklahoma City and Tulsa aren't as much. I mean, they are still important crossroads, I-35, I-44, and I-40, you know, all cross right there in Oklahoma City, and it, you know, is an important uh, geographical crossroads, but at the same time, it is very much Oklahoman, and I think one of the, key, you know, defining characteristics of Oklahoma is it kind of being a thing on its own. It has its own dialect. It has its own kind of culture and tradition and understanding of itself. Yeah, and it, I mean... And this was actually a lot of how people used to think about it because,
0: I mean, we weren't the last state to become a state in the continental U.S., but we were called the last frontier for a long Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, as I've been reading very slowly through the federal writer's uh, project book about Oklahoma, you know, you see these people writing in Oklahoma in, in, you know, 39, 40, 41 that are like Oklahoma is new, Oklahoma is young, Oklahoma is its own place. It's distinct Mm -hmm. from everywhere else because it has this massively different history than anywhere else in the United States. And nowadays, um, you know, I I think we've lost some of that in a way because so many people are like Oklahoma's the South. That's what Oklahoma is. Yeah. And I mean, there's a good argument for it. Some tribes were slave owning. The last confederate, General to surrender in the Civil War surrendered in Oklahoma, General Stan Whitey. um But at the same time, it's not, and a bunch of immigrants came here from the South to settle. But I mean, we we don't have the same accent as the South, you know? Mm-mm. We're not classified as being Southern. We're part of the Southern Midland accent group, which is a Midwestern accent, right? Yeah. We're not Texan. We don't have this horse shit that we're the best fucking, you know, that we fly our flag at the same level as the American flag. We're going to secede or some shit. We're not those animals.
1: Um. I'm just saying sell it back to Mexico. I think That's all I'm saying.
0: I want to build a wall, but just around Texas, Just around Texas. I want no wall with Mexico, but I want a wall around tech. Uh, both yeah. sides. Also on the Rio Grande. I don't give a shit. Also on, on the fuck. Also on the fuck. I'm, yeah. I'm being honest. A seawall.
1: And I I think one of the things, you know, you kind of mentioned the immigrant history of uh, Oklahoma. And I also really, I think it's important, too, because we have such a a strange, especially even the kind of conservatives here. um, It is, we have a strange relationship with the rest of the country because we fled. Pretty quickly after our statehood, once the Dust Bowl hit, I mean, Okie was a pejorative. That's uh, where that's for where the term time. even comes from.
0: Like it didn't exist until the Dust Bowl,
1: and there's still mm-hmm. an accent yeah. group
0: uh, in the interior of California, a couple counties that have they just have Oklahoma accents. There.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's I think you know th- 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 that that was a white flight in a really. In a way that didn't happen in a lot of places in the U.S. You know, that was a natural ecological disaster mm-hmm. that happened and that the people had to respond to and during the Great Depression. And so the early years um, for Oklahoma were, you know, not just dark, but I mean, bleak. I mean, yeah, there you know, were fucking no rest. banks. Well, and I mean, so my great great grandfather started uh, several banks in Oklahoma And so I have a a decent understanding of how banks work in Oklahoma and that history. And I mean, not I mean, even into the 1900s, it it wasn't just the you know ecological disaster of the Dust Bowl, you know, where there wasn't any production. You know, we didn't we weren't pulling as much oil at that point. It was a lot of farming, and without you know, we were called the Oklahoma's or the America's breadbasket. And without that kind of farming, then you move on and have the Great Depression. All these banks are failing. It was also rampant. Uh, vigilantism i mean my great great grandfather was robbed by Billy the Kid in Oklahoma, yeah I mean,
0: like all it, of these it, great western i mean Billy the kid jesse James most western like gun singers were in Oklahoma at some point in time because you could get mm-hmm. you could get out the, the the federal judge responsible for the state of Oklahoma was living in in Arkansas, terribly mm-hmm. far away
1: um yeah, and I mean it was you know until the founding and even then you know the the disasters that followed it was man it was close to still the territory it was still you know and there is a little bit of that still here uh too some of the towns uh, you know i live in um, i live a lot of places in oklahoma right now but uh i'm between uh norman and the northeast corner and um it, 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 you know, places like Norman, you, you can kind of see the the town environment. But I mean, you go out rural; it's it's almost shocking because you know there's there's the the, the 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 liberals and the conservatives, the right and left out in the rural the rural parts of Oklahoma. It's really strange because they all kind of have the same ethos of, hey, this is my land, and you leave me alone on well, it. Well,
0: that's the thing. I mean, it's just like super classically Western ethos, where it's like, hey, just stay out of my goddamn hair, okay? Leave me alone.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. And that's my business my business my business. That is
0: so definitive for the western the the like western american culture. And I mean we we're also part of the west the guy who shot the guy who shot Jesse James so the guy who shot Robert Ford <laughs> um he got shot in Oklahoma City. And he's dead and buried in yeah. Oklahoma City uh, and I, I I'm pretty sure my grandfather is actually buried in that same uh, at least some of my family is buried in that same graveyard you know like we have this like, guy who's part of the mythology of the wild west here too you know in the ground here
1: yeah yeah i mean i mean I- some of the things didn't necessarily happen you know the the shootout at the okay corral didn't yeah, happen, didn't in, happen oklahoma. in oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> but i mean yeah it is i mean um you know just looking back even through cinema and you know you can kind of progress and move a little further in oklahoma history you you look at the history of cinema and the history of where the legend of that came from man i can think of more than one diner in Oklahoma that I've been to that's got pictures of John Wayne on the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of the heritage here. That's probably the culture, too. And then at the exact same time, um, you know, one of the earliest cultural memories I have of a non-American, you know, just not Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter, or Fourth of July holiday it, uh, was going to a powwow. Um, there's a great history and tradition of Indian culture here, uh, Native American culture here, that um, I think really speaks to um, a diversity that doesn't exist. You know, there are competing elements and they do exist, all of us, kind of under the greater exploitation of the oil companies that (laughs) rule this land. And I mean,
0: then we also, you know, we, we share with, the plain states and the western Midwest states who share that, that long, old agrarian populism, you know? Mm-hmm. We have that history. That's where our state constitution is. Well, and and was great course. roots
1: of socialism. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma's got, you know, this is the home of Woody Guthrie, and that's, the India Home of Farmers Association. It, yeah, and that's, that's,
0: yeah, that's got a lot more to do with the Midwest than it does with, with anywhere else in the country. But that's where that was yeah. centered. You know, the people who wanted a silver, gold and silver standard, you, you know, the William Jennings Bryant progressive. Of the late mm-hmm. 1800s.
1: Um, yeah. And a great kind of populism, too. Yeah, not, I, not, I, not bad stuff. I, the, the, you know, I, for all the complaints I have about Dixiecrats, um, you know, big tent democracy is uh, a thing that works really well. And populist democracy and populist socialism works super well. Yeah, it's dope, still, Um, And, yeah, and it, it, it actually does have a pretty good uh, record in this state. And it's, and it's, still- it's, it's part of the reason... You know, it's still alive in
0: a sense. Like, I swear, mm. I swear that without that history of populism in, in Oklahoma, Bernie Sanders would not have done as well as he did. Oh, because, yeah. because people oh, felt yeah. like this, this guy talks in a way, you know, how this guy understands politics and how this, this guy sees the world matches up way better with Oklahoma than, you know, anything else, anything from the mainstream of either party. In some way, I think a lot of people felt that. I think that was a big deal.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. But anyway, I think that's about all for us. Just one last
0: note we're not fucking Texas Light. We are not. We are Oklahoma. People say that all the time. Own shit. Not Texas. Not like Texas. Yeah,
1: no. I, I, uh, Carl knows, and, uh, I'm sure everyone else can agree with the sentiment, but Texas is a hellhole. Uh, if you're from there, I'm sorry. Move. Um, there's just nothing left for you there. Uh, it, uh, it is, uh, ground zero, a decimation and, uh, the, the bushes are still there. Cl- clacking around on their ranch. So I'm sure. Rick Perry's stomping his boots somewhere, but anyway, so yeah. Um, come check us out. Uh, we've got a subreddit, uh, over at, uh, our red star over Oklahoma. We're still SoundCloud, a uh, red star. We have, uh, Upgraded uh, our SoundCloud, so now we are uh, able to uh, put all of our po- uh, uh, all of our uh, episodes up. So go check and uh, listen to the backlog, and uh, give us a like and give us a follow. Um, we're also over on iTunes. Carl's running a beautiful new Twitter account at uh, at Red Star Over Okay. Check it out. Um, I will
0: tweet inappropriate things at you if you uh, come come check it out. I promise. <laughs>
1: Um, if you have any comments or, uh, questions, concerns, uh, hate mail, uh, you can submit it to, uh, Carl's Sarah Haha ha page and, <laughs> uh, you will respond in due time or you can email us at redstar over. Okay. At gmail.com. Um, we, we check, check that. that every once in a yeah. while. Um, we, uh. We write the scripts together, communally working together. Uh, I produce, and Carl does all the publishing. Uh, rate us, write a review. Let us know if you want to come on the show and give us a converse, have a nice conversation about uh, Oklahoma. You got anything else, Carl?
0: Uh, you know, just like I said earlier, stay safe out there. Dodge them crazy August tornadoes.
1: Oh man, the August tornadoes are after him too. All right, everyone, have a good week. See ya.
0: Bye.